This morning we're going to turn to John chapter 1. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. John chapter 1. It's known as the prologue, uh, verses 1 through 18. And if you're physically able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because He was before me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, this morning, would you just bless the meditations of our hearts, the words that I speak, would you somehow use them in spite of me? Speak to each and every one of us this morning. Help us to apply your word to live it, to embrace it, to love it and cherish it. Hide your word in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've always appreciated this passage of Scripture. Um, There was a commentator that I had actually never really heard of until Brian and I were talking one day. It was uh, Bruner. And he's described this as the preface to the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. And there are a number of themes um, in this gospel. I just want to highlight this. Let's get the technical stuff, the stuff that excites me. Let's get that out of the way. And then I'll really get excited, and then you'll have to turn me down, Jim. Okay. So some of the themes we're going to hear if we're reading all the way through John's gospel this morning. We're not. I'm just just, okay. checking if you're awake. Jesus as God in the flesh, light in the darkness, the source of life, zoe, always right over there. Jesus as the revelation of God in the world, the world and its opposition to Jesus, Jesus as God's offer of salvation to the very world that opposes him, and then the choice that humanity, that's us, have to make. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Will you believe in him? Will you follow him? I remember, I've told the teens hundreds of times probably by now, um, I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. I was at a youth event in Belfast, Northern Ireland, in the Ulster Hall. 
There's 3,000 of us crammed into this building. Once a month we would gather. It's an event called Manifest. And the speaker was Scottish. I don't remember what he was talking about that night. I just remember one line. He said, the most important thing about you is what you do with Jesus Christ. The most important thing about you is what you do with Jesus Christ. It's not the car you drive, because they all break down eventually. And you can't get a ticket, so why get a car that goes faster than the limit? I've never understood that. The most important thing about you is what you do with Jesus Christ. And there's, there's really four sections in, this, in these 18 verses that we just read. Um, you've got the, the first five verses where it's really talking about this eternal word as he's the light and the life of creation. Jesus didn't just come out of thin air. He's been there all along. And in verses 6 to 8, John the Baptist is the one who has the privilege and the honor of witnessing to this light that has come into the world. And then in verses 9 through 13, the light or, or the word comes into the world. He enters the very world that he created. And in 14 through 18, we read that the, the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. I have a confession this morning. For years, I think I subconsciously believed that Jesus got his start in the manger in Bethlehem. And I've learned so much since then. (laughs) Um, Learning about the, the prophecies that he fulfilled that were 700 years prior to his arrival. Learning about the way in which you've got all these gospel accounts of his life on earth, and yet they all point to the fact that he is the Son of God, therefore he is eternal. And, and it's, the cool thing with John's gospel is that it gives you this, um, I call it a theological bird's eye view, because the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all kind of drawing from similar material, and you get, you know how you see some parables that reoccur in other gospels and some stories, and so you then that's where the scholars get excited because they can compare and say, well, he was wrong or he was right. And we don't want to spend our time doing too much of that, um, although I do enjoy it. But John gives us, he zooms out and he says, here, read this. This is why God came. This is why. This is the big picture. I love big pictures because I get lost in detail. And this prologue, these first 18 verses, are really dealing with um, two components. They're dealing with the eternal and the temporal. So the eternal is, is this, this sphere of God as, as, as creator. And Jesus is the living word. He is creator with his Father. And I don't want to get into the Trinitarian stuff this morning because I'll just get confusing. But you've got the eternal, so that's, that's him. Then you've also got the temporal, where you have John the Baptist living and encountering the Word of God, His living incarnate Word. And the interaction between these two spheres, the eternal and the temporal, that's what this um, passage is dealing with. Some uh, commentators have kind of uh, jumped on John, the writer of this gospel, when he says, in the beginning. Now, let's, let's just make sure that we're all on the same page here. What do you think of when you read those three words, in the beginning? Hands raised. Probably Genesis 1, thank you so much, sir. Amen, let's go home. No, okay. Genesis 1. How does John know? Was he there? How does he know that in the beginning was the word? How does he know? 
Well, my limited mind thinks, well, a person couldn't make this kind of claim unless they had had an eternally significant encounter. I'll go further than that. A person couldn't make that claim if they hadn't spent time with Jesus himself, knowing he is the son of the one true God. I think the, the three words in the beginning, that's only the beginning, <laughs> the word beginning is going to come up a lot now, uh, the beginning of the connections between Genesis and John. If we look at Genesis 1, what is the climactic event of Genesis 1? My wife gets lunch today. Making, God made humans. Okay, good. My wife and my unborn daughter get lunch today. So the climactic event of Genesis 1 is the creation of humans. What's the climactic event of John 1, 1 through 18? Verse 14. The word became flesh. It's another human. Woohoo! Creation of humans, then the creation of another human who is really human, fully human. We'll get to that later. Then also in Genesis 1, we go from darkness to light. I like light. In John 1, the light comes and dwells where there is darkness. The darkness can't defeat it, can't can't get rid of it. Advent is my favorite um, time in the church calendar. And, uh, you know, I don't consider myself to be a very patient person. Corey will attest to that. Um, I'm not super patient, but Advent does something for me. It helps me slow down. It helps me uh, think about how much I need a Savior. Think about uh, how little or how much I'm actually including him in my life. You think it would be easy for pastors? Not. Reflecting on what God has done, reading this this scripture, yeah, the birth stories are great and the manger and all that stuff. But actually, reading this and understanding, he he is God. Yes, he's a baby, but he's also God. Why come as a baby? It's mind blowing. The bottom line is that the law, the Torah, has not taken us to the promised land. Just like Moses. Moses gets to see the promised land, and then he kicks the bucket. He's gone. He's on Mount Nebo somewhere. He didn't get to see what he had worked for. Forty years to travel an 11-day distance. Pretty impressive. And the law, following the law, like those who Jesus encountered, it didn't do anything for the people's hearts. In Ezekiel, we read that God wants to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. He wants people who are open and willing to do what he calls us to do and not to get caught up in all of the technicalities. Love is the number one commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But God's story doesn't end with this 
law that's just not quite working for his people, God is acting in a new way. He sends Jesus. He's calling people from everywhere to be born in a new way. We read in uh, John 3 about the the dude who, uh, why am I using dude? I'm not even from here. Um, The guy who, uh, I shouldn't even use guy, but that's okay. He's, He's asking, how can I be born again? And that's the amazing thing is that we really are born again. God acts in us by his spirit and is working to fulfill his purposes. His bigger purposes are that all would come, that all would believe, that all would know life and life to the full, abundant life. This zoom out version with John, this bird's eye view helps me to think about the fact that Our God, the one true living God, creator of all things in the universe, sustainer of all things, he's different from the world, and yet he's active within it. He's active within our world. He's holy, and he's remote, and I guess detached, and yet he's intimately present. He's intimately present, Emmanuel, God with us. And if we want to know who our God is truly, we need to take a long, hard look at Jesus Christ. He has to be our focus. He has to be our goal, to Christ-likeness, to be like him. Um, I've been known to compare this passage of Scripture with uh, a TV show called Undercover Boss. Um, I love that show. There's some not-so-good episodes, but most of them are pretty good, pretty solid. And I was, uh, it's no, I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, I think it was almost two weeks ago. I was talking about how I need to reserve Sky Zone for the teens for January 10th. Um, and I happened to look on Netflix, and there it was Undercover Boss, Sky Zone. How many people don't know what Sky Zone is? It's this huge building full of trampolines. They do birthday parties, and they don't discriminate against age. So, everybody go. Um, I started watching this show, and, and Jeff Platt is the president and CEO of SkyZone. He's 29. And at the beginning of the show, he tells this story, and he breaks down, and he's sharing about how his, um, his mother uh, got ovarian cancer and just deteriorated very quickly. She died about four years before the show was, was, was filmed. And so he, he goes into the company, and I, what I, the clip I'm going to show you, because I like showing clips, um, he meets this court monitor. So basically, safety, kind of keeping everybody happy, making sure no one breaks their neck. Well, we can't really fully prevent that. But, you know, making sure everybody's okay. He's 21 years old. He's called Cam. He's, uh, he tells a story of how in his senior year of high school, he got leg checked playing ice hockey. Recovered, went back the next season, got leg checked again, and broke both of his hips. He tore ligaments in his hip flexor, and there were three other things that I just couldn't hardly pronounce, let alone spell, so I didn't write them down. He's had six surgeries so far, including reconstructive hip surgery, yet he's what I would call an all-star employee. This is one of the purposes of Undercover Boss. They want to get in there and kind of gather some intel. Do they like the company? Are they really, is it just a, a job? Is it just a means to an end, or do they really like it? He's an all-star employee, super positive. 
he explains to the CEO, to Jeff, he explains that they've told him, the doctors have told him if he doesn't have physical therapy at least once a week, he'll have prosthetic hips within three to five years. He's 21. And so we're going to see what happens when Jeff, the CEO, reveals his true identity to Cam at the end of the show. So um, if you've ever watched that show, that there are some like endings to the show that completely contrast that, um, where the boss is telling them that they're not worth anything and they didn't, they're not really contributing to the jo- to the company because they're not doing their job. Um, and that's part of that's one of the purposes of the show. But when I when I watch that show and when I think about it, I'm not necessarily saying it's comparable with the incarnation. God becoming human does not compare with this. I get that. And Jeff Platt does not compare with God. But the empathy he has for this employee makes me think about God coming down to dwell among us. God moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson puts it. Jeff makes physical therapy possible for Cam. He puts a band-aid on his medical debt. I'm sure 30000 isn't going to take care of it. He doesn't compare it to God. He can't heal Cam's hips. God can. The idea of a CEO going undercover among his or her employees is great because it gives the CEO an opportunity to get to know who's working for me, who's in this company. I see statistics and I see like maybe some names on a payroll, but I maybe even see social security numbers, I don't know. Um, but whatever I see... It doesn't really give me, my my finger isn't on the pulse. I don't really know who's working for me. And so I love that idea of getting in amongst your people and getting to know who makes up the fabric and just the the existence of your company, who makes it tick. And for Jeff, it was clear that the cam was an asset to SkyZone. He has a positive attitude and he has a great work ethic. Go home and watch the episode because it's cool at the start where you see what he's doing and he's showing Jeff around and Jeff's just, you can tell he's just blown away. He had, no, he had no idea the story that Cam was about to tell him about his physical condition. You wouldn't know when you first see him if he didn't say something. I don't think working on trampolines is what you want to do with two broken hips. I know I wouldn't. So It's hard enough when they're not broken for me. But our God, he did not just become fully human while still fully God to simply empathize with us there, there, or get to know us. He knows who we are. We're created in his image. But as John Ortberg says, he entered the world with no dignity. He would have been known as a mamzer, a child whose parents were not married. All languages have a word for mamzer, and all of them are ugly. His cradle was a feeding trough. His nursery mates had four legs. Big assumption there, but yeah. He was wrapped in rags. He was born in a cave, targeted for death, raised on the run. St. Athanasius penned these words. The word of God came in his own person because it was he alone, the image of the Father, who could recreate man made after the image. So we do have a God who empathizes with us fully. 
He cares about the load we carry, so much so that we take the time to write our prayer requests and to put them on a board with the word hope. Some people would think we're crazy this morning. Do we realize that? Some people are so down in their situations that they can't even imagine writing that word. It makes no sense to them. I come from a family that doesn't attend church, so I get it. I can look at things subjectively. God can do more than throw 30 grand at your problems. He can heal. He can change your perspective. He can lift your head. Ah, big picture. I need that a lot. My wife does it for me a lot. Let's back back up here, especially when we're with family this past week. When there's more people, that means more opinions, more things people want to do. Makes it interesting. Just zoom out and get perspective. Christmas makes everything possible. It makes everything possible. And when I, when I say that this morning, I'm thinking especially of the fact that we are created. Genesis 1.27, God creates us in his image, in his likeness. That's significant. The scripture doesn't say that about anything else he created. It really doesn't. You can check. It doesn't. We're created in his image. There's a reason. He wants us to have a relationship with him and that out of that relationship, we will reflect him and bring glory to him in all of the choices that we make, in the things we do with our time, with our resources. The word became flesh so that we can become really human. I had to bring in some Dietrich Bonhoeffer this morning. I love him. love reading him. Not as much as the Bible. Bonhoeffer says this, God becomes human, really human. While we endeavor to grow out of our humanity, to leave our human nature behind us, God becomes human, and we must recognize that God wants also for us to become human, really human. Out of love for human beings, God becomes a human being. He does not seek out the most perfect human being in order to unite with that person. Rather, he takes on human nature as it is. I need a dry erase board, but I don't have one. Um, How many people have read Crazy Love by Francis Chan? Okay, the cover of the book has two arrows, one coming down, one going up. I spent about seven months of my life thinking about that as I wrote my MA dissertation on theosis, on becoming like God, on... Eastern understandings of deification, all that stuff. And so in the midst of that, I feel like that symbol really helps me when I get to John chapter 1. God becomes flesh. He moves into the neighborhood. He's been in the the mud. Zach, I heard your devotional in the last service. Paul read almost the whole thing. So no one one in the first service needs to read the devotional book now because they've already heard it. I'm just joking. But... um, Zach talks about mud in his devotional thought. Jesus isn't afraid to get dirty. He goes to the places where people that consider themselves religious would not go. He goes to the people that are ostracized. He goes to those who are considered unclean. Growing up in the church, at least since my early teens, being in the church, 
if you had asked me over the years, gradually, each, like maybe over, over some uh, segments of time, what do you think holiness is? It would range, it would be a wide range of things, but initially it was, don't go to the movie theater. Don't drink, don't smoke. Don't, 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 don't. I didn't hear any do's. I didn't hear go. And it's from spending time Experiences in South Africa, uh, experiences in California, many, I've been blessed and privileged to travel, but the more I spend time with believers from other countries, my understanding of holiness is getting refined. Holiness is not about what we do. It's about who we are. And God wants us to be holy, so much so he told us it. He said, be holy for I am holy. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. And we can be holy because he became human. Here's the other part of that arrow. We got an arrow coming down, the arrow going up. What did Jesus do with our humanness, with our humanity when he rose from the dead? He took it with him. He dragged humanity back up to the place where it belongs. We're created in God's image. Humanity is important. Humanity has a purpose in this world where God is bringing his kingdom. He's redeeming all people, all creation for those who will accept. And we have a part to play in that. Why do we think we've got so much media attention for uh, Beauty for Ashes, Jimmy? How, is it unprecedented? It's got to be. Beauty for Ashes, Point Loma is raising, the, the Center for Justice and Reconciliation is raising funds to fund a victim of human trafficking for a year, a college. A Point Loma, that's a lot of money. That's a deposit on a house. Why is it getting media attention? Because we're doing something that matters. And there's nothing in it for us. Becoming fully human, really human, as Bonhoeffer put it, means becoming Christ-like. In my teenage years, we had those WWJD wristbands. I wore one. I don't anymore. I shouldn't have to. What would Jesus do? I had friends in school tease me saying it meant we want Jack Daniels. So it didn't really work as a witnessing tool. They had already decided what it stood for. We want to see others through the eyes of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes this possible when we call on him to fill us with God's love. Perfect love. Love for neighbor. John Wesley stressed that the followers of Jesus should participate or partake of the Lord's Supper and communion as often as possible. It's one of the means of grace. How are we to become Christ-like if we don't come to the Lord and say, please, pour out your grace. Fill us with your grace. We need it. If we're going to make choices that reflect you, if we're going to go places that bring honor to you, to where the broken are, this is one way that God works in us. He makes us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Christmas really does make everything possible. We can share communion this morning 
because of Christmas. So I want to encourage you. We serve a God who loves us unconditionally, so much so that he entered our world, he moved into the neighborhood, and he has made it possible for us to become like him. That's the hope that we have. That's hope. We don't need to dwell on the fact that we do things wrong. That happens. We don't need to dwell on that. We need to fix our eyes on Christ. And this morning we have an opportunity to do that afresh by celebrating communion together and giving thanks. I want to pray and I'll ask those that are helping to to come. And we will uh, celebrate communion together. Father, this morning, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is not a manual. We never pick manuals up. Your word is truth. It's living. It speaks into our lives. It speaks into situations. Lord, make us people of your word. Make us people of your spirit also. I pray for each and every heart in this room, including mine, that we would be open to your spirit this morning, to the spirit's nudging. Lord, stir us up. Help us to think about the words that you would say, the assumptions you would make when you see someone that you don't know. Lord, I'm so guilty of that. Assumptions, assumptions, assumptions. Lord, this morning, do a fresh new work in our lives. Help us to have hope. You became human. You moved into the neighborhood. You walked where we walk. You lived where we live to show us how much you love us. But you went further. You went to the cross. Your body was broken. Your blood was poured out so that we could have our sins forgiven. But you rose again so that we could have newness of life. Lord, help us today as we celebrate communion, as we give thanks for all that you've done for us. Help us to be people who walk in the light, who walk in newness of life. Conscious of who we are, children of God, the living God. Be glorified through all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.